Welcome to the Restore Podcast with me, Owen Walker. What I just wanted to do as we come into the final few days of 2020 is really wrap up the year from a podcast perspective and look back at some of the fantastic interviews that I've had in 2020. I was just thinking uh, before we recorded this that I must have had probably well over 100 conversations for different podcasts um, in this year. But what I wanted to do for the Restore podcast is just distill down some of the just pinnacle moments and both in, inspirational moments and insights that some of my guests have given uh, this year. Um, before we crack on with the episode, I just wanted to thank everyone that's given uh, their time to me this year. Realised that it's been a year like no other. Uh, we've all had absolute sort of variety of stresses and strains this year, which has yeah, been really unique in a number of ways, really. Um, and the premise of this podcast really is about having inspirational conversations, which hopefully give back to people and give greater insight to people and just encouragement um, from other people that have endured, that have overcome adversity and that have some fantastic lessons learned from their lives. So um, we're just gonna we're just gonna visit um, a couple of the conversations, probably around uh, eight to nine of the conversations, um, and just really land on some of the most fantastic moments in those conversations. Before I introduce my first guest, I just also want to say thank you to a couple of people that have really endured my <laughs> um, sort of scattergun approach but also just really helped me along the way so I want to uh, uh, thank Mark Hannaford um, as it's really through my role with WEM World Extreme Medicine that I've met some of these fantastic guests some of the most inspirational people that I've come to know so my thanks to Mark and um, my also also my thanks to um, Adil Adil Sharif he really helped me start the podcast um, and he has really been a source of encouragement throughout this whole process. Um, he also opened up the, the studios for me um, and helped me with all the tech initially um, because this certainly didn't come naturally to me. Um, so I just want to say thank you to him. But yeah, please do enjoy some of these salient points uh, from some fantastic uh, speakers. As we go through these episodes, you'll really see some of the diversity uh, of, of conversations that I've had and just some, some of the diversity of, of speakers. Um, so please do enjoy. Okay, so my first conversation uh, that I had for the Restore podcast was with Talisha Indico. And Talisha was a, a, a spoken word poet and started, um, born and raised in Brixton and started poetry at 11 years old um, and is an absolutely fantastic uh, individual. 
She's both a public speaker, a spoken word poet, and also holds workshops for a number of different institutions. But she's also, and probably most importantly, a creative entrepreneur. So please do just enjoy this snippet with Talisha uh, as we uh, interview her and also sample some of her spoken word poetry. This piece, I'm actually, this will probably be the last time I say this piece ever. Um, because 2020, you know, is going to be lit. It's going to be a movie. And I've got some really good new content. So I'll give you guys this one um, and end the year on saying it. So this one's called I Have a Dream. And it was something that I wrote um, a few years back, but it seems to still be relevant now, which is quite scary because that just means there's no change happened. <laughs> um, so it goes, I have a dream. And I'm not talking about the Martin Luther King speech. I have my own dream to help those who are mentally weak, blinded by the media and what they read in the newspaper every week. I have a dream that the young youth stop all this gunplay and play with each other, write music, kick ball, and reach out to one another. You know, like the words, I am my brother's keeper. I have a dream that there be more jobs for those who didn't attend school and have a hands-on approach towards hard labor and can work hard with a tool. I have a dream that one day us young blacks will get picked by our African descendant surnames and our applications not get thrown away because the melanin in our skin did not have the right criteria in our veins. I have a dream that ignorance becomes a distant memory that we can all love and unconditionally, regardless of our skin color or who we choose to date, whether it be the same sex or a different race. I have a dream that equality is enforced so my white sister can really call me her sister and not get looked at differently. I have a dream and it starts with me. I want to be able to wear a hoodie and people not think I'm a thief. Judging a book by its cover has become so common. <laughs> so I rock my gold teeth, my tattoos and boys clothes so they can assume I'm nothing but a street kid from a council flat from Brixton. I have a dream that when I open my mouth and speak a good speech, they are flabbergasted with no sounds like their tongues no longer have speech. You see, it's good when you prove people wrong. So I have a dream that our kids of today stay strong. Let's prove we can be lawyers, barristers and hard workers. Let's show we can be football coaches, entrepreneurs. Because I have a dream and with consistency we'll stand firm. I have a dream that we no longer get tempted to do wrong by the strings of money. And we can maybe eat at Gordon Ramsay's and not get looked at funny. I have a dream that the judge will start to influence the jury because the long-term sentences of innocent parties are through me. Off. I have a dream that this all stops. Thank you. So my next guest was Dan Richards. Dan was an ex-soldier and an ex-patient of mine that I met uh, back in 2009. So I met him um, as he had uh, come off his motorbike and had probably one of the most severely injured um, it's a patients that I've ever treated. So he had um, a right arm and shoulder amputation, had broken almost nearly every bone in his body and was fully conscious. Um, so in this conversation, we, we catalogue and document his, his incidents back in 2009, but then his recovery and just how he turned his life around. Uh, Dan is one of these fantastic individuals which just lights up the room. He's got this most amazing personality and it was a real privilege really to, to keep in contact with him. So here he is, Dan Richards, episode number three. 
I came off my bike in Central Reservation shoulder first. So I ripped my arm and shoulder off at this pretty much um, at the scene. Uh, landed on my heels, which br I had bilateral talus fractures, so two broken ankles. Um, and then my left arm, I think the natural subconscious thing to do when you fall over is put your arms out. Obviously, one wasn't working, so I had the you know just the left arm and uh, all the weight and momentum through that just, I suppose, s smashed my my radius and all the two bones in my forearm were, were, were poking out as well. I think someone mentioned as well when I was in the hospital, they were on about getting rid of that one because of how badly broken it was. Mm. Um, so I've now got two plates in my arm which will never come out. Um, and that and that's all I've done really, that was it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's little just scratch. a minor scratch, it's a little scratch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little scratch to the right arm and left arm and everything else. I think, do you know what, they spent uh, six and a half hours wow. trying to reattach it, but I think um, as well as ripping it off and smashing the, the collarbone and the shoulder blade, as I severed my brachial plexus out, pretty much out of the spinal cord. Um, and was there a partial laceration to the internal jugular? I think there was. I, I saw your neck. I saw your, um, literally saw your trachea. Um, and I think due to the lack of blood supply to the limb itself, and the fact that even if they could reattach it, it would be paralyzed, um, they decided to amputate it. But I mean, I say decided to amputate it. I think all they probably did was got the scissors out the you know out the kitchen drawer and and the and chicken scissors. The uh, chicken scissors. Get the chicken yeah. scissors. <laughs> Where's where's the surgery? I don't know where the surgery. Just get the chicken ones out, just quickly. Yeah, we ain't got any. W. Smith's got some. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. So listen, like what what I loved about you when when you were telling me about your rehabilitation, just is how quickly you were just you you in the or in the hierarchy of priorities. You were like, are the crown jewels there? I'm <clears throat> all right. My my arms off. I've got no shoulder, but on my crown jewels. In, in, intact that is one memory i've got i i remember vividly from hospital as i remember the doctor came in uh i not long been woken up out of the coma like i think it was about two or three days after after the incident itself and the doctor came in um and you know gave, gave me the good news you know, he'd been in a horrific motorcycle accident and so on um uh, so you've got two broken ankles and you, you, this my left arm was actually suspended from a pole with fixators in it uh, holding the bones together um and i stopped him before he got to the right hand side i said am i a vegetable you know am i gonna is that it um my mum told me that he started to well up at that point um and then his registrar had to come in the nurse a, a lady um and she gave me the good news again all through it and then said but unfortunately after six and a half hours of surgery uh, we were unable to save your arm and shoulder and I remember looking over to the right side of the pillow you know, of, of my body and and where certainly the shoulder or uh, body should have been was the pillow um, and I got a little bit upset about that you know obviously I don't think anyone would it's a massive shock to the system I was 23 years old I'm quite young and then I remember looking around the room everyone was miserable and quite understandably um and then I went, verbatim, I went, is the plumbing still there and working? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she said, that's absolutely fine. Nothing else matters, in, does it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean uh, there's people worse off than me. Yeah, so. yeah very much so. And, and that's, that's been my attitude. Well, from, from, from then, straight. And it's good in a way because, because it enabled me the mental capacity, if you like, to focus on 
readjusting to this new way of life and I certainly put a lot a lot of that down to being in the military I mean you kind of drilled into about being self-reliant and uh, you know the 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 the, uh, the phrase that's used a lot in the military is um adapt and overcome yeah. so that's what I did really and so very early on I started learning to write again and and just all sorts quite difficult because obviously this hand my left hand was in the cast at this point um so I became very dexterous with with all sorts but it's a very frustrating way to sort of learn because I was right hand dominant so yeah. I, the only time I'd ever use my left hand was to hold a knife and fork or something when I'm eating and and I just thought, I, I had to accept the fact really that I'm now going to be a man with with one arm I'm, I'm going to be an amputee the rest of my life um and yeah I suppose looking back on that moment now of you know asking if the plumbing's still there and working and looking back on that moment now that's yeah that's the moment i accepted my situation which then afforded me the mental capacity to uh, adapt and overcome really so okay so jumping about a bit as this is highlights of 2020 my uh, next conversation that i wanted to highlight was with uh, esther murray and it was on sacrifice and acceptance uh, Esther Murray is a health psychologist working at Queen Mary's University in London. She is just a fantastic individual, really insightful. Just a, You could almost have a conversation about anything with her. But she uh, and I really unpack what it is to, uh, to make psychological sacrifice and also just to reframe some of the most difficult situations that, that she and I and others uh, might experience this year. So we talk about cognitive diffusion, uh, we also talk about acceptance, commitment therapy, lots of different things. But uh, this is just a real snippet from, from that conversation with Esther. Again, she's one of the most fantastic individuals that I've had the pleasure of interviewing and meeting this year. Uh, please enjoy. So imagine the sky, right? So today is a great day because it's a beautiful blue sky. So you want to imagine the sky, right? And sometimes there are clouds. And sometimes there's rain and there's even stars and there's a sun and a moon and maybe a rainbow or lightning. So all these things happen against the backdrop of the sky. But the sky is always the same. And the sky is you. Mm -hmm. And all the weather is your thoughts and all the events and all the things. But they don't mm -hmm. change the sky. They happen in the sky. But, mm -hmm. but the sky is always the same, right? Mm -hmm. So the you of you is always the same so if you can remember that there's you and all the things that happen are like another layer on top of you um it it takes away some of that you know how when something's gone wrong or we feel ashamed or embarrassed or humiliated or abandoned or any of these awful feelings and you feel like it's really common to have that feeling like i'm never going to be okay ever again right but you're going to be fine because the sky, you, mm. are always the same and you're always all right. Mm. So oh. if we can see the clouds or the rainbow, whatever you want to say, and let them move on in their own time, that's how we're going to be okay. But if we try to hold on and, and sort of hold this terrible feeling, 
and t- say that's me now that's that's who mm. i am it's not who you are yeah yeah it never was it's almost like it's almost i 100 percent agree with you as to it's almost like being an observer of weather rather than being yeah. the weather it, and, and it's, it's, like, yeah. it's like sitting sitting on the side of a busy busy road where all these cars are thoughts but just observing it rather than being yeah. in the middle of it you know you you are you're yeah. almost you are an observer of it rather than identifying with with, yeah. with it which is powerful yeah. actually because it's a powerful tool of like you say diffusing uh, or distancing or disconnecting yourself from yeah. from the emotion from the from the from the from the from from the roller coaster really of of those yeah. of those thoughts yeah that's powerful yeah that's powerful yeah yeah there's i really really like it there's another analogy if this is easier for people because i mean we, you all have to find the one that works for you yeah. um about being a house imagine you're the house and all your thoughts or the events of your life all of these things are the furniture in the house now you can put your furniture wherever you like can't you you can move it around you can put it all in the kitchen it doesn't matter what you do with it it doesn't change the integrity of the house Okay, so your integrity, the unit of you, is is always there. And that can be such a... Because what we want to do really is, is like calm down, you know. And these thoughts, so when we diffuse from our worry and our panic and our humiliation or whatever it is, then we get that lovely feeling of calm. And that's the feeling that reminds you that you can definitely bear this thing. You've just got to bear it. Just keep breathing. That's all. So the next conversation I wanted to highlight was Life of a Prison Pastor with, uh, with Ronan Walker. So Ronan has got some real insight into both the prison system over a period of 10 years, but also just some of the fun- most fantastic stories of um, lives turned around and also how incarceration has changed people. But he really has uh, a, a perspective on forgiveness and renewal, personal reconciliation, and just um, to, to the point where this was this conversation not only was insightful for me, but was was really one of the most downloaded conversations across the across the podcast. When you are working with men in prison, you get to see the whole cross spectrum of humanity. Uh, My job, uh, I keep saying to people, it's depending on what day it is. um, Every day is different in the prison. You never know quite what day you're going to get. So it's exciting. It's very, very challenging. But it can be the best job in the world or the worst job in the world. Because you're dealing with people who are in very difficult situations. And I get to see some of the most beautiful human beings ever. But it's so refreshing when I come across people who take responsibility for where they've come from. Uh, come from and what they've done when they want to become better men when they want to make a positive change it's the most beautiful thing when they want to engage from my point of view when they want to engage with Jesus and to see him transform their life it's the most profound thing and I think um, obviously knowing what you do Owen uh, which is just a beautiful job you do and reflects on on the privilege that I have of, of working with men in prison I, I often think that in life, one of the most rewarding things is when you not only get to work doing what your passion is, but also to be part of helping people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, when you feel like you've made a difference in somebody's life, and for me, more more powerfully, when I see God making a difference in people's life, I can't ask for anything more. Um, on the flip side of that coin, you also do come up 
across a lot of people that are in prison for good reason and people that don't want to change and you can walk onto a wing and people can be having a bad day and it's just your turn <laughs> um so you, you see the cross-section you also also it's, it's heartbreaking when you hear stories of of what people have gone through coming to this point I always tell people that what we're going to do is we've got to make, we've got to, we can't always use things as an excuse. We take responsibility for the, the poor decisions we make, but also we reflect back on the, the cards that people have been dealt that they had no control over up until that point. And sometimes it's heartbreaking to hear the things that have happened to people growing up and it makes you realise how privileged we were to grow up in a loving family where our parents were together and um, to still have that loving support of family that not everybody has so it makes me very grateful for for i guess what i have in life so my next conversation that i wanted to highlight was episode 11 and this was on high performing individuals with piers carter piers is a business coach and facilitator and is just an inspirational uh, character both to me and many other people so we talk about high performing individuals being the start of high performing teams but also what Pierce really highlighted in this conversation was the power of choice and just really separating the stimulus from the decision and, and really isolating choice. Choice being sort of a powerful, uh, a powerful uh, empowerment tool, really. Something which we can uh, affect and something which we can change. So I hope you enjoy. I personally believe we have choice every second of every day and every moment with every individual and every interact. It's all about choice. I've got a choice right now. If I sit here and stay fully clothed and well behaved, or if I decide to stand on my head and get naked, run out the room, scream, sing, I, you know, I've got choice about everything that I do right now. Um, and I've got choice about my response in any given situation that is going to present itself going forwards. The angry neighbor, the difficult patient, the, the boss who's on my back, the crappy email that comes through. I, so I think choice, um, I think choice is a gift and I think it's terrifying because when I truly learn that I've got choice about who I am and how I am and how I show up, oh my God, all those crap choices, poor choices I made in the past, all those unwise, unskillful choices I made about how I talk to my sister or how I reacted to a colleague, that was a choice. Yeah. Now, it's not easy to make the right choice. Um, and you have, for me, there's in what sits behind choice is intention. What mm. intention am I going out into the world with? Who do I want to be? Which version of myself do I want to walk out the door? When I leave this building, I'm in a different building to my house at the moment. When I leave here and go and see my teenage sons who are doing their schoolwork in the house, I get a choice about the version of dad that walks through that door. That's a massive responsibility. But it's got to come with some sort of intention and consciousness. Um, so I think I think choice is a beautiful word and also a very powerful and terrifying word as well. So the next conversation I wanted to highlight was with Martin Brennan on episode 16, and this was called Communicating with Crime. So Martin is a ex-senior police officer working both in the UK and in the United Nations, and he tackled local, national, and international organised crime. He just talks about some fantastic stories about how he has influenced people and about how he has de-escalated situations and got people to do what, uh, what he wanted them to do. I think they, by being, you know, that young detective out there sort of at the coalface, you know, interviewing, and, and whether it be a witness or an offender, um, to, you know, family members, you know, giving bad messages, you know. And then, and then sort of as a leader, 
and then being a coach and a mentor, really, I, I kind of just picked up all these pockets of sort of things. Like, oh, that's a good idea. I use that. And I kind of do them anyway. So I think I'm a curious person, and I, and I think being curious is always a good thing. You know, like, and you talk, talked about earlier, and definitely, you know, looking at somebody and paying attention. You know, I've talked to leaders, and they say, "Hey, how's it going, Mark?" And they're looking, you know, over my shoulders. The next person, I just switch off. I think you, you, know, you don't care, so I'll, I'll just walk off. Um, but I, I kind of use, you know, active listening, feedback, nonverbal communication is really, really important. Don't read into them too much as well, because you could think actually, you know, the, why aren't they listening to me? They switched off. Well, you know, they might have just had a bad, bad uh, message themselves. You know, and uh, you know, I always give people the benefit of doubt. You know, about, I always think, you know, their parent might have just been told they've got cancer. You know, let, you know let's just, let's just rather than just you know prejudging them, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And just probe a little bit more as an investigator. You're always probing. You're always, can I just clarify this? Can I do this? But one thing I found that's really useful, which, you know, and it's come from my coaching days really now, is I use the acronym WAIT. So W A I T. And, and, it's, and I always use it. And it stops me beautiful. And it just stands for why am I talking? And uh, as soon as I do that, I start listening again. Because A, if you're listening, you get to the cause of the problem and you just clarify it. Uh, rather than just launching into a problem solving, uh, you need to do this, you need to do that, whatever, and actually that might be the issue that I want to talk about. So I, I use that a lot, and um, you know, I always seek to clarify, seek to probe, is that really the issue that we're talking about? Is that what we want to talk Is there anything else? And then try and, you know, either if you're mentoring, you might problem solve, if you're coaching, you might use branding, whatever it is. But, you know, why am I talking? For me, it works really well because Mrs. B would tell you that I talk too much. So it's a, it's a good one for me, mate. The next conversation is with Will Duffin. So Will is a friend and uh, joint medical director for World Extreme Medicine. Um, and in this conversation, we discuss depression and microadventure. Will is a fascinating individual and a good friend. And he has some amazing insights really into both the origins of depression and how we can mitigate it and uh, so in this episode we just talk about a few of those pearls of wisdom i believe that modern society is inherently designed to make people sad and unhappy i think if you live life as prescribed by this commercial machine that we that we all live in i think you're just going to be a really sad and anxious person i think that is the end game and i think we all have to be quite deliberate about how we interact with with the world and that we do that in a way that that serves our needs as human beings and not just the needs of government or commercial organizations i'm not i'm not trying to sound too um too anarchist here <laughs> yeah i know what i'm talking about really is i think that a lot of the paradigms that are just considered just just standard how we live our life and i think uh, you know we are bombarded with advertising that tells us we need all this stuff and that if we work really hard we work a, a hard job we can afford to buy all this stuff you know so there's there's the, i think there's a survey done recently that asked people how much they like their jobs and i'd love to be able to create some stats but the vast majority of people the bottom line is don't really like their job i think a lot of people are just working with people they don't like on jobs they don't like to buy stuff they don't need uh, and it's this kind of vicious circle and i think it's there's just no kind of higher meaning or purpose to what, to what a lot of people are are doing out there 
Uh, I think the other big challenge in society is, and this has been raised many times, and, and you had a great chat with Jen Sherman about this, is the the role of kind of digital media and social media and 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 and, uh, and all that side of things uh, on people's well being. Uh, I, I just think that. Uh, and also, yeah, we're a society that values wealth, you know, and celebrity culture. You know, we're, we're, we're really kind of enamoured by uh, you know, the, the people that are held on a, on a pedestal, the, 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 the Harry and Megans, the, um, you know, pop stars and, and movie stars. You know, they're the people with the wealth and the fame and the looks. You know, that is what, as a society, we aspire to. You know, there's, I just think there's a lot of this. There's junk food and there's also junk values. Uh, and I think that, is so that's kind of primed everyone so everyone's kind of already i think is is a, a little bit empty um and then when you throw kind of difficulties into that uh so whether you know adverse life events uh whether that's a bereavement or whether you know it's losing a job um wh- whatever it is i think because we haven't uh, collectively i think we've, we've really done enough inner work i don't think we've We've invested time in strengthening ourselves as people and, and how we interact with our society that we're really just in this completely materialistic uh, uh, kind of vacuum uh, and, and we're all just complete hedonists just looking to get kicks and buying the next thing, going the next holiday. We're just totally unprepared for what, what comes and it floors us. My next episode was with Gaul Nawaz Hussein and this was episode 26 on law, order and mental health. So... Uh, Naz is a fantastic guest and individual. So he was the first ever BAME QC from South Yorkshire. Uh, really as top of his game as a barrister. And he talks quite candidly, honestly, and honestly about his upbringing and his, his trials and tribulations about becoming a, a barrister and indeed a QC. And he just really unpacks in a really easy to understand and accessible way some of, of, the, of the keys to success and also the keys to just perseverance and, and grit. It was learning that, um, that persistence pays off, that diligence pays off. And it's not about necessarily being as good as the next person. It's being the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. There will be some things that other people can, can do that I will never be able to do. That doesn't mean I'm a failure. I've just got to be the best that I can personally be. And, Sometimes even that's a big objective. So you have to really break it down to something smaller. And one of the best ways is just be better than you were yesterday. And so I was very lucky that the trainer I had, Mick Mullaney, um, was uh, not only good at teaching me how to fight, but also the psychological side of things. And, you know, introduced me to Kipling's If, you know, I'd never read this at school, but he introduced me to it and numerous other poems and, and artists. Um, and also in, in Thai boxing, there is a very definitive litmus, litmus test uh, when you get into that ring, whether it's sparring or fighting. Um, and you will know whether you've delivered and you will know whether you've prepared. So if you've been cheating on your road work and you've not been doing your cardio, you'll be gassed by the end of the first round. Uh, if you've not been working on your techniques, then you'll probably have a few black eyes and bruises to show for it. So there's some, it's, a, it's an obvious way to find out whether you've been doing what you should have been or not and why, where you need to correct yourself. Um, 
so I, I from that I realized that look in order to be better you have to do what you want to be better at you've got to be specific in your training the two big things I've learned is about silence and taking your time don't be scared to slow things down when you need to and just just take your time it's not a sign of weakness if anything it shows someone who's composed is measured and is comfortable to, to be able to deal with things. And it was something that I, I, I really did when I was interviewed uh, for uh, um, Becoming Silk. I was interviewed by uh, a former High Court judge and a former British ambassador. So it was quite an intimidating environment if I allowed it to overwhelm me. But I just slowed everything down for myself. So when I was asked a question, I'd give three or four seconds for the question to settle in my own mind. And if I couldn't think of an immediate answer, I'd wait longer. I'd wait maybe 30, 40 seconds without saying anything. And then give my answer because it gave me a chance to think. And it's a little bit like being in the matrix. When you pause in a situation like that, if you don't allow yourself to get stressed, that 30 seconds actually feels a lot longer for you. So it allows you to think about what you're going to say. So not being rushed into things. And also silence. Silence is something that we, particularly as Brits, can find very, very uncomfortable. And, and I often say to people, if you're negotiating with someone, say what you want to say or what you want and be quiet. And the other person will almost feel obliged to fill that void with things. And often they'll end up start, starting to talk and actually make arguments against their own position. It's a really funny situation that you'll see people fall into. Well, and it might be, well, I know what you're going to be saying, or you're going to be saying this about this. And that they're making your points for you. So learning that silence isn't something to be feared, it's actually something to be embraced. In the courtroom, I might ask you a question and the answer that you give me is unexpected and utterly devastating to you. And if you've given me that answer, I'll just leave three or four or five seconds to let that sink in and it's and knowing that those two things that we naturally sort of fear you know wanting to be quicker and wanting to fill spaces are actually two real strengths if you use them properly so my next conversation was episode 27 and this was uh, with jason fox i had a few conversations with jason fox um and we talked about his his new book life under fire Jason was a former SBS um, operator in the, in the military, serving 20 years. Um, he's got some fantastic insights, really, just everything around resilience and mindset. Uh, so in this book, we pull apart many different concepts around emotional combat indicators, uh, around PTSD, around the sense of community, and also just around awareness, awareness of your own vulnerabilities and also how to de-escalate other people. So, um, so this episode was, was really interesting uh, to me and also aligned with a lot of my critical care background. I didn't think the community was important, and it is. It's like the most important thing. You know, whether you, you stay in touch with the same people that you were with back in the day when you were doing stuff, whether it was when you were a copper, a paramedic, a firefighter, it, it doesn't matter. But what you need to do is find the community that's right for you. As you're going through life, you need to constantly have a community there that understands you, put you in the right mindset that fits in with your mind, you know, 
with your sort of way of thinking. And so for me, I don't, I mean, I have got, I've got mates that I've stayed close to from that job, but for me, community is so important to each individual. We're all individuals, but it's so important that we're part of a community made up of the right individuals. And so you go out and you pick who you hang out with and who you talk to and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the community, it's, it's, it's very important. I reveled in the chaos. I, I actually was proud that I was good in chaos. I was like, yeah, we, I, I, I think I still am. You know, if some, if the, if the, if the obvious hits a fan, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty confident. I'll, I'll sort of roll back into it, and I'll still be super vigilant. You know, a bit older, a bit slower, bad back, and all that. But ultimately, I, and I do miss it. But the thing is, it doesn't last forever. And it was the moment of realization actually came when I was seeing a therapist, and you know. It, it took a few weeks to get to this point, but I suddenly realised as adults, and especially as adults have done jobs like we have, we spend very little time being present no matter what's going on. Do you know what I mean? And and that, that being present is so, so important. You know, a, a child does it very well. An 18-month-old does it very well. As an adult, we've got so many learned habits, whether good or bad, that we either, we're either worrying about or we're, we're dwelling on the past and we're worrying about the future, which are two things we've got little control over. The present, we've got so much control over and we need to enjoy it a lot more. And once I found that out, like as in today's a, a prime example, I did, I had some stuff on this morning and because of the situation we're in in the UK with lockdown, I've had nothing all day and I've literally sat on the sofa, I, the, the telly's not been, and I've done almost nothing. And do you know what? I've enjoyed it. You ha you've got to be a lot more self-aware. You need to make your emotions more conscious than subconscious. A lot of the time, an emotion is a subconscious thing, and you, you it doesn't really, it doesn't really sort of like register on you. But if you, if everyone or people, including me, I still do it, if you're a little bit more emotionally aware. You would, you know, when you get that aggy feeling, whatever it is, it, it, and it comes from inside, doesn't it? It's not like you, we think emotion is come from the brain, but it, it does. It's an all over body thing. The minute you start feeling that, that's your combat indicator to start being like, well, I need to, I just need to. This this emotion deserves a little bit of respect, and I need to acknowledge it. And that just means, why do I feel like this? And before. And if you nip it in the bud, then the next thing you know, you're not actually getting angry and affecting other people's lives or anything. You're, you're, um, you're exploring your own emotion and you're, and you're using the emotion as a combat indicator to stop you from overreacting in a negative way. It is, it is all to do with just stopping the situation. Like I've been in gunfights with, with friends of mine against the enemy because I'm a soldier and the situation is running away of itself. It's it's you can feel yourself getting sucked into places you probably don't want to go, or being made to make decisions that you don't want to make. And instead of doing that, I can remember on numerous occasions we pulled ourselves as a team of guys behind a wall, behind a derelict building, sat down. What someone's probably rolled a, a, a cigarette, another bloke's got a cup of tea on the go, got his flask out, and we've sort of had that. Costello moment where we're taking a breath, 
evaluating the situation, looking at what our options are, not rushing in or not ru- definitely not rushing into our, our own death, and then looking at what the, the measured response should be to what's unfolding in front of us. And it, it, it has saved so many lives doing that. And it's, it's been so much more productive. And if you can do it in the middle of a gunfight, I reckon there's a lot of other places you could probably do it as well. Being aware of your vulnerabilities is about being honest with yourself and being on, when you're when you're honest with yourself, it's so it's like almost it's enlightening, but at the same time empowering, because look, when you when you actually have that conversation where you're like, oh, right, I don't like doing that, I don't like doing that, I like doing that, I like doing this, you're like, oh, I, I don't know what it is. It's like if you don't do that, you know you're lying to yourself, really, and. If you think back to when you find out someone's lying to you, you hate it, it's it's a horrible feeling. So imagine if you're doing it to yourself and you actually do subconsciously know you're lying to yourself. So the minute you have that sort of honest conversation with yourself internally about what you do and don't like, what your strengths and weaknesses are, you, I don't know what it is. I just, when I, when I did that, I just felt so much more empowered because I, I had... I didn't have to keep up this facade, not only to other people, but predominantly to myself. And it was, it was a really sort of, you know, it was, a, it was a moment where so much weight came off my shoulders. So another conversation which really moved me was um, a, a conversation with Mark Fish. So Mark is uh, the author of an innovative therapeutic community called Room to Heal. And in this conversation, we really unpack um, the shared narrative and power of stories from an affected people group who've undergone some of the most horrendous torture in their countries of origin. And Mark really found that the power of community and that shared narrative really helped people to unpack their stories and heal from their stories, heal from their past. So this, this conversation was both really insightful and you could just sort of feel the passion coming from Mark when he was speaking. There's a resonance with their own experience complete resonance with their own experience and then and it's then there's almost like there's a kind of my god thing my god actually i'm not a sick person what's going on with me is a reaction to all the stuff that i've been through i'm not crazy and that's what that's where healing can happen it's like actually um yes i've been through a whole bunch of shit terrible shit i wouldn't wish it on the on my worst enemy but actually, when I really, when I hear that narrative from someone else, I realise that actually, it's an experience, and it, and I can move through it. Yeah. I can move through it. There's kind of, there's life beyond it, and the paradox is, it is a paradox. The paradox is, it's like you get to the, you get to that life beyond it by really digging into it with other people that have been through the same experience. The British culture is not alone in the kind of stiff upper lip. So many cultures have that, and so part of that part of that kind of shift, if you like, is also um, the shift that arises out of people um, slowly, and it's always a kind of a slow process, kind of being able to actually articulate their vulnerability with, to one, with, one, with one another and to themselves, such that they begin to realize that actually their vulnerability is a strength. <laughs> you know, vulnerability or your it's like your vulnerability stays a vulnerability as long as you actually kind of keep it inside but when you actually when you when you share that with another human being when you cry it out go back to the kind of vignette it's like something else opens inside you 
and again it's almost, and what opens inside you is almost like the thoroughfare these thoroughfares to another life right where the experiences no matter how awful that you've been through actually can in a way change your life also in a positive way and not least because you begin to actually appreciate the suffering of others and the vulnerability of others okay so that's it that's some of my most favorite conversations over the restore podcast over 2020 i really hope you've enjoyed them um like i said it's it's just a, a marker really of some of the wider conversations that i've had well over 100 conversations this year um but thanks for being on the journey with me this year it's been a really unique year for a number of reasons really it's been probably one of the most difficult years of my life both clinically and a year of transition as well for me but it's been really helpful for me and hopefully you to have some of these conversations with inspirational people really unpacking their their tips and tricks and and and, and what's got them through some real time of adversity and time of tribulation so i hope you've enjoyed it i certainly have um i look forward to having far more conversations in 2021 and bringing you with me um and just hopefully bringing you the best of humanity, really, um, just to restore you, just to really encourage you and to help you sort of become a better person. Because there's plenty of drains on our time and our energy at the moment, certainly in the pandemic. So what I just really want to do is both inspire you and help you as a listener to be the best version of who you are. Um, so I do thank you for your time this year and I look forward to bringing you with me into 2021. Thanks, guys.